Hello, I'm Yo-Yo, and I play the cello. Hi, I'm Chris Thiele, and I play mandolin. Hi, I'm Edgar Meyer, and I play bass. Hi, I'm Stuart Duncan. I play the fiddle and the banjo. Hi, I'm Aoife O'Donovan, and I'm a vocalist. And these are the Goat Rodeo Stories. These are the stories behind the number one classical and bluegrass album, Not Our First Goat Rodeo, as told by the legendary musicians who created it. Starting with a simple question, what is a goat rodeo? A goat rodeo is a situation that seems destined for catastrophe, but wherein every component works out just well enough for it to be okay. So when it came time to name the project that we started 10 years ago, we were looking for something that was a, um, equally as unusual as the project it, itself. You know, mashing up the classical world with the, with the fiddle world, the bluegrass and old time world, and many things in between. The way we came to the title, Goat Rodeo, was that we were brainstorming and we had 20 titles that pretty much embarrassed all of us. So we were about to give up. My copyist, a man named Eberhard Rahm, was uh, helping us with this project and he uh, talked to his uh, wife about it. So, you know, it's a pretty frenetic process getting all this together and she said, well, that just sounds like a Goat Rodeo. So Eberhard told me about that and I presented that to the other members and uh, immediately it was uh, well loved by everybody. The Goat Rodeo, as Chris put it so well, he looked up Goat Rodeo in the Urban Dictionary and saw the definition of people that go through something that's unbelievably tough going where the risk of failure is great, but as you get to the very end of it, you look at one another and say, phew, boy, that was a goat rodeo. And that gave us the sense that this is a group that takes a mutual risk together. Exactly what it sounds like, right? A bunch of crazy animals running around somewhere, a pen, I don't know. It seems like an apt description of the people involved, for sure. Now let's meet the Goat Rodeo. Each musician was asked to describe each other in a sentence. First up is Chris Thiele talking about Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma is potentially the most lyrical instrumentalist I have ever met. After working with Yo-Yo Ma the first time, I realized that there's two very professional things that he does on a regular basis uh, that, that I could can't even touch. Read music really well and show up in a solid shirt. Yo-Yo Ma may just be the kindest person in the world, uh, also the performer of one of my daughter's favorite songs, Simple Gifts. That's a constant rotation in our house, Yo-Yo's version of Simple Gifts. Yo-Yo is a very good cellist for his age. Edgar Meyer is one of the silliest, most serious people I've ever met in my life. Edgar chooses to translate his deep humanity through permutations. Edgar Meyer has more talent in his whole body than I've got in my pinky finger. Edgar Meyer is my musical Obi-Wan Kenobi. My daughter thinks that every man who she hears singing on the radio is Chris. It's kind of hilarious. Pretty much from the time he was born, uh, Chris has been really good at music. I think of Chris Thiele as a, um, as a tree in the Amazon rainforest that has a perfectly even canopy that delivers every kind of fruit you can imagine from each limb. Chris is on fire. Period. Well, my son is a violinist. He says that Stuart has been the beacon for his generation. Stuart Duncan has inspired an entire generation of fiddlers to not just play the fiddle, but 
uh, try to compete with each other for one-liners at any given moment. Stewart, I think, he has such a, a different sense of imagination. And to me, it comes out in that he never repeats anything twice. Stewart is to musical improvisation as MacGyver is to getting out of a perilous situation. Aoife's heart and mind shines in her voice. Okay, so say the melody is Michael and the lyrics are Jane, then Aoife O'Donovan is Mary Poppins. Aoife's career has been pretty smooth to date, but it had a little bump in the road in 2017 when she sang a couple notes out of tune. Aoife is the most amazing singer and, and such a, a beautiful person, but she's not even the best drummer in the Goat Rodeo. The first album from this group, The Goat Rodeo Sessions, was released in 2011. Here's Aoife O'Donovan reflecting on their first time recording together. One of the things that was so special about the first Goat Rodeo record was it really reached a large number of people, people across so many different genres, people who were coming to sort of folk music and the music maybe of more Kristen Stewart's world, like the bluegrass side of things. So they were coming to, coming to that side from Yo-Yo and from Edgar and then vice versa, people who were real bluegrass fans who were saying, oh, well, you know, I've heard the name Yo-Yo Ma, but I, I wasn't quite sure how, how much I loved classical cello. That, I think that record is propelled by curiosity. And the music still sounds like that to me. It still makes me want to go poke under some rocks and see what sort of bugs and, and you know, see if I can go catch a lizard or whatever. <laughs> One thing that's not immediately apparent is that mandolin, double bass, cello, and violin is kind of a crappy instrumentation. What we decided to do to um, ease that fact was to have Chris and Stuart and I switch up on instruments enough so that you rarely had the same instrumentation on, on two songs in a row. And it gave the, the needed kind of textural variety so that when, when we would actually do a piece with all of us on our main instruments, it had a certain novelty to it. And you also got to hear us, you know, each at our most comfortable. We really don't know what is going to happen at the end of the journey that we agreed to undertake. But because of the mutual trust in each other's abilities, it's the trust in each other's value system. The idea of honoring collaboration that goes beyond, oh, you're a great banjo player, you're a great you know, singer, you're a great bass player mandolin player it's it goes it goes really to the core of what makes someone tick and what makes you like them what makes you trust them what makes you want to spend time with them what makes you want to go through tough times with them and in that sense the, our first goat rodeo was that kind of experiment there's only one thing that I missed on the new project that, that went on in the first one. And maybe it's because I was approaching it with more confidence than I did the first one. I was pretty scared on the first one. because It's really not uh, something I was used to, playing classical music like that. During the first project, when I would get, when I would get too nervous, I'd realize that I was feeling something. And, I, and I'd kind of, in my peripheral, I noticed that somebody was sticking a cello bow in my ear. As if to say, relax, kid. <laughs> you know, and it helped. It really did help. Now let's hear about some of the tracks on the new Goat Rodeo album. First up, 
The Trappings. The Trappings is one of the songs that we wrote at Carnegie Hall when, during a writing, writing session there. Chris kind of took the lead on the lyrics for this song and sort of turned it into a three-voice thing from, from the beginning, which was really cool. So, you know, Chris sings the first line and I sing the second line, and then Stuart kind of comes in with this, this third ghostly voice, and it's, it's a really cool effect. Twenty years ago, uh, Chris would try to get me to listen to um, pop music that I didn't like. And like that, he would try to get me to like it. And that was really unsuccessful. And one of the derogatory terms I would have for a lot of the stuff that he would try to get me to listen to was, I would describe it as an eighth note prison. And uh, Trappings is actually a song that's a little bit of an eighth note prison. So I have learned to uh, enjoy myself in such a situation. Edgar likes to say the controversial thing. Oh, this is an eighth note prison. I showed him the, the strokes. I was like, check this out. I'm really digging this. And he was like, ah, oh, eighth note prison. But every now and then, every now and then, even Edgar can feel at home in an eighth note prison. Are the things we made of loneliness a double? Even I talked about the lyrics of the two vocal songs being related. So work-life balance became the theme of those two lyrics. What he was trying to say, and I think sort of the thing that Chris and I talk a lot about is our shared experience kind of as musicians, as parents, as, as well, something that actually every, everybody in the band can share. And just kind of trying to navigate this crazy life with our, our spouses and our kids and our work and the things that we're kind of stuck in and the patterns that we get stuck in and sort of how to break out of them. The next track is called Your Coffee is a Disaster. Here's Edgar Meyer. The title, Your Coffee is a Disaster, comes from a kind of misunderstanding that Chris has about what coffee is. It could be a generational problem. It also just could be a neglect in his education, or it might even just be he's genetically limited in his olfactory senses. Um, and his taste. There is a pretty serious generation divide in coffee preference in our group. Aoife and I preferring what is known to coffee geeks as third wave coffee, and Stuart, Yo-Yo, and Edgar preferring what Aoife and I would call bad coffee. Edgar is making up this coffee debate. Chris is the coffee maven. He will go 10 miles out of his way because there's some place that he knows that does coffee and that is so specific about where, you know, the owner has traveled to Guatemala or to Mexico to find this plot of land to talk to that farmer. And God forbid that you put milk in it or something, you know, because it's like you have to taste it in its virginal form. It's just terrible. I don't even understand, you know, what the point is. Um, I, I would probably just take caffeine pills. But their coffee does, it does taste like, like if you went outside after a thunderstorm with your coffee cup, went to the driveway and just kind of scooped up some standing water and then came inside and got a spoon and went to the fireplace 
and just spooned out some soot and poured the soot in the standing water and you heated that up, stirred it, and then maybe like topped it off with some uh, of, the, of the dead mosquitoes that are lying around. But they, you know, if you like that kind of thing, absolutely, you know, to each their own. You know, without going into too much detail, let's just say um, that Chris is wrong. Anyway, it's fair to say that he doesn't like the coffee that I drink any more than I like the coffee that he drinks. Here's Chris Thiele on the track, Every Note a Pearl. Every Note a Pearl. That was, so uh, Edgar, Edgar showed us that rising, the rising tenths bass part from the first time I heard him play it, it was like, oh, that makes me want to kind of do this kind of thing. And so that kind of popped out. It's a capricious number, a very capricious number. Well, the title comes from a phrase that in some circles is a condescending thing to say about somebody's playing. It's meant to imply a certain vacuous content. But of course, everything is in tune. Everything is, has a beautiful sound. Every note a pearl. And of course, that is not a way you can describe this piece. It really does feel kind of like a fun house, that one, to me. Every note a pearl. Every note a precious pearl. The next track is called Not For Lack Of Trying. Here's Stuart Duncan. Not For Lack Of Trying, I think it's my favorite piece on the new recording. I think it's the most interesting and the most provocative and written in an entirely different uh, way than, than I ever considered. I have a, uh, a preference for harmony and counterpoint in three voices. A lot of my favorite stuff is that. It interests me more than four and five and more voices. It turns out that if you list all the different types of three-note chords, there are 19 of them. And so we just sat around and did the math and tried stuff. And that was just kind of fun. It just gave us a different look. And what I love about three-voice counterpoint or three-voice even chorales and harmony is that Every note matters. Edgar's a research scientist. He has a lot of different experiments working at the same time, and he's fiddling with them to see, okay, well, what's working in this way? What happens if I did that? And then would this make a better chemical reaction than the other thing? Does that blend together? And it's like a great chef. Mix savory and sweet together. Oh, that's never done. Well, let's try that. Edgar's been really interested in how many different ways you could stack three notes on top of each other, the, the various possibilities. So he showed us the, the theory behind it, and then we went to work together, coming up with like a, a base loop of these triads. And then, and then Edgar went home with the loop that we agreed upon and, and spun it into that uh, beautiful composition. Nice work, Edgar. There are only two tracks on the album with lyrics, including this next track, We Were Animals. First up is Edgar Meyer. Fair to say that 
in my normal life, I don't ever play any tremolo. I.e. moving the bow back and forth just real fast on one note. That's kind of an effect. Chris got the idea that the violin and cello would sound great going tremolo on this one part in the beginning. And um, he was right. And he knew it was going to be difficult to get me to do it, but he got me to do it. And so I, in hindsight, I have to say at this, you know, Chris was right about the tremolo and uh, wrong about the coffee. When you wake up in the morning and you feel alone and you know a cup of coffee won't get you going. The lyric for We Were Animals, definitely we, when we were writing the song, we were kind of throwing in lyrics and sort of kind of ad-libbing to fit with the melody. And one of the one of the ad-lib lyrics on the demo, the original demo, I think Chris or me or both of us were sort of saying, song from the earth, like this, this line, song from the earth, or maybe that wasn't even what we were saying, but that's what it sounded like listening back to the demo. And that kind of led me down a path when I was sitting down to really kind of compose the bulk of the song, the lyric for the song, to take that idea and kind of make it a bigger thing. And we were once these sort of primal, you know, young beings, and now we're just kind of dealing with dealing with life and dealing with the ramifications of everything that we've done as a society. I mean, it's it's crazy to be talking about this right now in the middle of COVID-19. One of the lyrics that that I really love in this song is, um, and in 2037, when she's 21, if the world's still circling the ogre sun, tattoo forgiveness on her hand. Just the idea that our children will have to forgive us for the damage that we're doing you know, on, on so many levels, not just on a climate level, but on an emotional level, et cetera, not to get too dark. But anyway, I think there's a lot of that going on in the song. The next track is Nebia, starting with Stuart Duncan. Nebia. Folks, you got to check out Nebia. I'm not kidding this time. Yeah, just make sure you figure out where one is really soon because, you know, can't figure that out, you're going to be lost through the whole thing. Is it a wine word? The name is derived from what they call the mist in this specific region in Italy, in northwest Italy, Piemonte, where they grow the grapes that make my favorite wine. The grape is called Nebbiolo, and, and so that's derived from that term for for the fog that settles in that in that beautiful that beautiful region, and I, I also felt that the the song had this sort of nebulous, uh, sort of mercurial, or just yeah, it just feels like you're just kind of floating in this um, in this fog. That was a song that came down, like we were we were still structuring it like in the session to record it. Well, I, lo I love that kind of thing. Then it, it, sometimes you, you don't have time to, to get in your own way when you're doing it like that. You can sort of hear it coming together in real time, which is fun for me. Finally, the musicians explain the goat rodeo sound. Thank you. 
I would hope that both goat rodeo projects would be looked at as, as witness to the fact that you can mash up a lot of different musical concepts if you're careful enough with the glue. I've observed that when you put these five people in a room and have them play music, it immediately sounds like goat rodeo. It doesn't matter what you're playing. Everybody's personality is thrives, and I think that gives us a certain sense of freedom. I think we like to explore in a lot of different directions. For me, the, the point of a project like this is the unique product that results from a given collection of human beings. Here we are, five individuals who really believe in the process of making music, but coming from such a variety of backgrounds and somehow having enough mutual respect and collaborating, because when you collaborate, you're actually using a more mature part of your ego you know that you're working in a space where you sometimes occupy a space and sometimes you make space for others and you allow for that space to fill up according to what needs to be. I hope there are thousands of groups that can get together in this way. It's what I think is possible when we make the right decision for the whole group that actually uh, makes the group sing. If you'd like to hear the album, search for Not Our First Goat Rodeo. Thanks for listening.